welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm one of your hosts, Kim Ward. And I'm your other host, Kurt Flagel. And I always say this, that this is a special episode. And this time I really do mean it because I have someone, well, we have someone that we are interviewing who is a good friend of mine and also a mentor for years. And his name is Scott Whaley. So, Scott, welcome to our, our show. Thanks, Kurt. Glad to be here. A very special episode of <laughs> Life Hurts But God Heals, and I get to be on it. Well, that's because you're special. You can take that in whatever way you want. I appreciate that. I will take it as affirmation because I know that's how you always intend it. Absolutely. So I was thinking about this in preparation for this and my mental preparation for getting to interview you, that uh, we've known each other. If my calculations are correct, it's been 22 years. I mean, it depends on what month it is, but yes, roughly 22 years. Why don't you tell a little bit of how we met, actually, since we're kind of referencing that? Oh, gosh, that was a long time ago when I was still a young man. It's hard <laughs> for me to recall that far back. Uh, we had just planted, we were, we were about actually getting ready to plant a, a new church. I was coming from um, one of, the, one of the, the churches that was planting us. You were at another. I was leading out kids ministry, building it from scratch. You were a children's ministry phenom. And so I quickly snatched you up and said, hey, you know, come come be on the team because I need high level, high capacity leaders to build this thing from the ground up. And you're like, all right, I'm in. I love the way you explain it. It was definitely God calling us to leave the church community where we were. It was an amazing experience. It's being there as a part of the church community and then ending up on staff there years later. Right. With you and you becoming my boss, right? Which had to be a special treat for you. See, special is all over this thing. <laughs> Very special episode. Actually, I will say this on air for the record that you were the best boss I ever had. I feel like I was the only boss you ever had after you left uh, the casino business because when you left here, you were your own boss, basically. I guess you did do a little bit of time at another church, right? Yeah. I've had other bosses, including myself, and you're still the best boss I've ever had. Well, thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. It is. It really is. So tell us a little bit about yourself, like, you know, maybe a little of your journey coming to faith, a little of your background. That might be helpful. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Just so folks know, you know, what what a mess I am as we enter into this dialogue. It's always super helpful because people assume that, you know, if we're having these conversations, then obviously, you know, we're all spiritual giants. And uh, I don't think any of us here are for sure, but I definitely am not. Grew up without any kind of really uh, church background. Uh, We were Catholic, if you asked us, but we never actually did anything Catholic. I was always very inquisitive, just, man, just hungry for, man, what is the, what is the purpose of all this? What's the meaning behind all this? I had pretty much dismissed Christianity because of kind of, I guess, my background. I just felt like, you know, been there, done that. So I, you know, pursued looking at Eastern mysticism and reading the philosophers, reading Nietzsche, and just, again, trying to figure it all out and just couldn't come up with anything solid. I'm like, yeah, this answers those questions. And, and then we had uh, got married, had some kids and uh, did what you do when you have kids, which is decide to go to church because you want some place to teach your kids not to kill people and lie and steal and things like that. So 
figured, yeah, let's let these folks do that because we want kids that aren't murderers. And uh, so started going to uh, ultimately an independent church, a non-denominational church, and people seemed fairly normal, which is a little shocking to me. And and uh, <laughs> there in the early days, every every week, my wife would be inside listening to the message crying. And every week I would be out in the courtyard rocking our two-year-old because she was crying as well. It took me a while to actually make it inside, but eventually I made it inside, started to hear the message. At one point, the preacher was talking about uh, Jesus and Caesar in the same sentence. And for me, prior to that time, Jesus was like Thor, just some mythological god from a bazillion years ago that somehow we made up along the way. And so that just be, that piqued my, my intellect. And so I just began a deep dive of Christianity and studying it and, and not only looking at the Bible, but the extra biblical sources and, and just came to the point where I'm like, this could legitimately be an actual thing. And near as I can tell, I'm on the wrong side of it. Should something happen to me today? And so my wife and I basically read a prayer out of the back of a Josh McDowell book in our living room in front of our orange couch and kind of prayed and God just but a series of things lined up. I ended up with no intention of ever going into ministry, about pursuit of ministry degree, just because I wanted to know everything there was to know about God and uh, end up ultimately getting hired on the staff and, and was there for a while and ended up invite, being invited to, to come over to the new church plant they were sending, the, the place where I am now. But what's, I think, also relevant to all that is while my initial pursuit of God was very intellectual, there came a point in about 2005 that our life just went off the rails. We had a kid that was just uh, had a lot of hurts and was acting out and ended up being committed and just all kinds of, of stuff that just really messed up our entire family. And in the midst of that, my knowledge of God was not enough mm-hmm. that I, you know, I needed more than that. So I began to, to see a spiritual director uh, who began to, overcome the difficulty of my intellect, you would literally say to me, if I could just cut your head off, this would be so much easier because I overthink everything. Uh, but ultimately, after a period of time, you know, just began to have an actual experience, a gnosko of God versus just knowing about God and um, really begin to look more deeply into, you know, spiritual formation versus, you know, just some of the training and discipleship that I had before in the apologetic stuff. And, uh, you know, I already had a great foundation. I had a good, strong biblical foundation. And now I just felt like this was that next add-on to be able to really know Jesus more deeply in a more personal and relevant way. You said two things that I would love your definition on. You got a spiritual director. So what is a spiritual director to you? And spiritual formation. How would you define those two things? Yeah, so a spiritual director, from kind of my understanding or perspective, is a spiritual companion. The word director is a complete, I think, a myth, because they don't really direct. What they do is they journey with you, and through a lot of listening, through holding space with you, through asking questions as they sense the prodding, because really the Holy Spirit's the director, the prodding of the Spirit, they allow one to recognize and respond to God's movement in their life. Nice. I like that definition. And then as far as spiritual formation goes, ultimately what it boils down to is it's just this idea of Christ being formed in you. Oftentimes in my tradition, as I came along, it was all about 
discipleship, which again, the idea of discipleship is fantastic, completely biblical, I'm 100% on, but the way the church understands discipleship oftentimes is here's a series of lessons and learnings and activities that you need to be part of to ultimately become a better person, a better Christian. Spiritual formation is recognizing first and foremost that God initiates. God is always the one that initiates. It's really a matter of, of our noticing and responding. And so oftentimes spiritual formation will lead into some of the old practices. Some people call it spiritual discipline, relational practices. I, I've begun to think of them more as habits of grace because they are things that we can do, that we participate in. For example, you know, Lectio Divina, Prayer of Exam and Silence and Solitude. Just, I mean, there's so many, you know, because it's God. But it's really about what are the things that, that I can participate in to ultimately hone my antenna that I am recognizing God's graces in my life. And by graces, I mean just the work that he is doing, the gifts that he is giving. Because I can't make myself more patient. I cannot make myself more holy. I cannot make myself kinder or more loving, but I can surrender, submit, and place myself in an open posture to recognize the things God is doing in and through me to bring me along. That's good. I would say you're the person really more than anyone else who helped me on that journey because you would often talk about your spiritual director, who was a nun, right? Yes. At that time. She was an Irish nun, had that thick brogue. She was 80 years old. And frankly, I don't care who your spiritual director is. If they are not an 80-year-old Irish nun, you are missing out. <laughs> because you went on these, these silent retreats. I don't know if you remember, like, the first couple you went on. I was very curious about those. I mean, you would only give me a small amount of detail because you're, in your words, like those experiences were so sacred to you that you didn't really want to talk much about it. But the whole, the whole idea of you just kind of offhandedly, casually talking about these really piqued my interest and caused me to explore those. And so it led me to go on my first one, which honestly was something that God also initiated, as you say and actually called me to. And at first, I, even though I wanted to do them, I resisted it. And it was a terrible year. Not that that caused the terrible year, but I wasn't as ready as I could have been mm. for that. And so in the next year, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this because I need it. So I've gone six years in a row at this point for six-day silent retreat. And I, I love to talk about the fact that the first time I went for that six, that first six-day silent retreat, there was lots of bets on whether I'd make it through one day. And I right. absolutely loved the experience. Loved it. Yeah. And, and uh, I think it was my, my second one, I had a nun who was from Ireland as my spiritual oh, director. Oh, yeah. there you go. And she's actually back in Ireland again. There's so many things I learned from her. My favorite moment is she was teaching me more about dream interpretation. She was telling me one of the things that will help find out what God is doing is to give it a title. And my favorite memory mm. is I'm like, oh, I have a title for the dream I had this morning. And I tell her the title. She's like, that's a terrible title. <laughs> <laughs> they, they must teach them that. I've had some additional training and my wife is a spiritual director and I'm actually 
on uh, the faculty of, a, of an organization that, that does formation and direction. And I, I've not heard that training yet on, yeah, tell, tell them when they're just way off and humiliate them and threaten to cut their heads off or tell them that the titles are stupid. But I imagine <laughs> that's something you just pick up throughout the years. Not there yet. So we've been talking a lot about spiritual formation. And I find in this world that God uses often uses our challenges, death, disease, pain, to be the thing that forms Christ in us the most? Yes, I would say in most cases, it's the challenges that bring us to the end of ourselves, which is a necessary starting place to surrender to allow Christ to be formed in you. But I would also suggest that on rare occurrences, there may be moments of extreme joy and beauty and revelation of God that pierces us without the need to have the suffering. Mm-hmm. But again, I don't think we're wired as human beings to recognize that as much, to appreciate it, to automatically go to Thanksgiving and allow that to happen. But I believe he does and can do that. Yeah, definitely. And that's something that since the garden we chose to hand God those tools of pain Mm. and struggle. That wasn't his first choice. He gave us the option. But it is the reality we live in. The struggle is what forms us the most. So is there anything that you've been going through that's been a difficult struggle more recently or within the last few years that has helped God form Christ in you or God has used to form Christ in you more clearly? Yeah, let me try to give three quick examples, because I I believe, I've not really thought this through, but I believe that they're all a little different. So the first thing I mentioned was, you know, the wheels falling off, our life falling apart, all that, which then, you know, that was huge for me, because I went from, you know, being a scientist for God, you know, studying and trying to learn everything about God, to actually desiring and pursuing what true intimacy through experience looks like with God. Right. So that obviously was huge. That kind of started the whole formation stuff for me. Two years ago, two weeks into COVID lockdown, you know, the church had been shut down. We're having to work from home. Uh, My wife had an accident, ended up breaking her spine, just blew it out. And that was just a really, really hard time. And so like for two weeks, we didn't know what was wrong with her because she couldn't lay down flat for an MRI. We were afraid to go to the hospitals because everybody was dying left and right. And meanwhile, you know, I'm, I'm a you know, senior leader at a large church. And so I'm Zooming and trying to do meetings and trying to take care of my wife. I don't know what's going to happen to her. And about two weeks in, we finally were able to get her to an MRI and get her flat enough that they could look at it. And they're like, oh, you need emergency surgery. What have you been doing for two weeks? Literally, her spine had began to push into her nerves and so was paralyzing her legs. It was just nuts. And what was crazy is, you know, we've been feeding her ibuprofen like jelly beans just trying to survive. Well, they basically scheduled a surgery for 24 hours, less than 24 hours from then. Ibuprofen is a, a blood thinner. Typically, they want you off a week before you go into surgery. Uh, she's got thin blood anyway. And so they're like, okay, first of all, we need to go to surgery tomorrow morning. Your husband can't, it's COVID time, so he can't be anywhere on the property, basically. And there's a realistic chance you're going to bleed out. And so that was what we walked into. It was a seven and a half hour surgery. I can't be there to protect my wife, to care for her, to make sure she's getting everything she needs. I'm sitting in the backyard of my house by myself, just 
talking to God and sitting there and listening. But in that moment, I was obviously concerned that I was not forsaken because I'd been walking with him a while at that point. I was able to go, look, God, you have proven to be faithful to me through all kinds of crazy. And I don't know if my wife's going to come off that table or not. I don't know if she's ever going to come home. I don't know if she's going to be able to walk again. And I love my wife. She's my best friend. We've been married 30 years. The loss of her would devastate me. But I just felt like but it won't destroy me because you're faithful. So however you play this out, you're faithful. And I trust you. And again, talk about a grace. I couldn't will that. I couldn't make that happen. That is a gift God gave. I was able to receive it because I've been, you know, doing these things that I talk about that it kept me in tune with him. I'd recognized his goodness. You know, I was practicing, you know, even thankfulness and gratitude in the midst of that. Now, I mean, let's be honest. Had something happened to her, I may have fallen apart. I may have just been, you know, rolling under the sink, rocking back and forth. I don't know. But, you know, in that moment, I was like, he's going to be here with me. He's proven that. And so that was a gift. Now, fast forward, you know, two years, so into, you know, recent history, we finally emerged from all the COVID craziness, which was, you know, I mean, as a, as a senior leader in a church was brutal. So much division, so much vitriol. People are just angry about everything. We're just trying to preach Jesus in the midst of this and people wanting us to pick sides and we're working from home and we're trying to lead our staff through this difficult time and the world's falling apart. I mean, just hard, hard, hard come out of that. And, you know, I just begin to kind of recognize a bit of soul drift that, you know, there was a point where, I mean, I was just tired and I was discouraged. You know, so many pastors right now are just calling quits and bailing. And it's because of how hard that last two years was. But one of the things that I was doing around that time was uh, listening to a, a podcast, Lectio 365. And so uh, that was just part of my regular rhythm in the mornings. And one day I listened to that, and there was a passage out of Zechariah 9.12 making a reference to Israel. Basically, Tom, yeah, you feel like you're prisoners to the enemy here, but ultimately you need to be prisoners of hope. And that just like pierced me. I'm like, that's it. I'm, I'm done. I'm, I don't want to feel sorry for myself anymore. I don't want to be rocking back and forth and you know, just angry and discouraged and what's going to happen. I, no, I'm going to be a prisoner of hope. This is it. And so that phrase just got me through that time is I just, every time I began to spiral or get discouraged, I'm like, no, I am a prisoner of hope. Hope is not everything's going to be okay, but it's man, God's with me in it, that he's going to work all things for good. And, you know, however I determine that it doesn't matter if he, however he determines it. Right. And so that got me through that season and it was just super powerful for me. And then even, uh, couple of months ago, I noticed again, that soul drift, I'd kind of gotten through that urgency. I'd re-upped my calling. I'm in it. I'm excited. I you know, love what God's doing, but there was just a bit of a malaise. And so I went and did a, a retreat, a spiritual retreat last week and kind of re-entered and signed up again for Jesus Easy Yoke. And, you know, began to do, to begin to revisit some old practices and begin to bring in some new practices that are helping sustain me. Part of that, what I recognized in all of that is, and, and I'm sure you can understand just, you know, my position, what I've been through, you know, what the last two years has looked like. I discovered, I realized, I guess I should say over the last couple of months that I have a bloated sense of responsibility. I have this obscene sense of self-reliance and 
there's no room for Jesus easy yoke in that. You know, that's all me. And so it's like, okay, knowing I can't stop it. I can't turn it off. I can't will myself to be different, but I can begin to develop some of these habits of grace that can open my spirit up so that God's initiating graces can begin to correct that in me. And so I begin to do, you know, some new practices along that line that I'm finding are, are actually really helpful. I volunteered a youth group down the coast a little bit, and we were having a conversation just about the idea that we're not responsible for what the kids do with what we offer them. There can feel like a lot of pressure of like, okay, God, like we're working in a youth group with almost all non-Christian kids. There's all this pressure of like, we want to see them saved. We want to see them loved on well. And the guy I was talking to, he's like, he's like, I'm coming to the conclusion that it's more like youth group is like a zoo. And I was like, a zoo? I, I was laughing because I was like, well, the kids are a little goofy and crazy, okay? He's like, but where are the animals in the zoo? He's like, they're coming in and they're getting to observe us. And are we carrying Christ well? And are we living out what we say we believe in? Because that's all we can do is bring the God that we're experiencing ourselves to these kids. And I was like, wow, that actually takes a lot of weight off and a lot of responsibility off. It's like, wait, it's not my responsibility to make these kids get saved and make them have a relationship with God. God's like, yeah, what do I keep telling you? What are you responsible for to listen to me and to obey what I've commanded you? But the results, that's a higher pay grade than what you are at. (laughs) Yeah, what you were saying just totally reminded me of that. There's something important you said, Kim. The only responsibility is to be the one who carries Christ well. To me, that's what it is. It's a matter of receiving, which goes back to what you said, Scott. God's invitation to us is to receive what he's giving, and he's always giving himself. Yeah, that practice of surrender is conjoined with releasing outcome. Exactly what Kim was saying, just the sense of, you know what, we we show up, we be faithful. You know, we follow the Lord's leading, we demonstrate Christ to the best of our ability, or actually allow Christ to be demonstrated in us to the best of our ability, and we release the outcome. Because we don't know what, what's going on under, under the surface. You know, we don't know that that kid who's raising his or her hands aren't really thinking about something completely different, but they've done church so long that they raised their hands, and the kid's skulking in the distance, looking like, you know, he doesn't even want to be here. He may be dealing with major life issues, and Jesus is speaking to him in that moment. Yeah, we, we have no clue. The best we can do is receive for ourselves so that we can reflect it well. So you mentioned some practices that you're doing that are helping you in this season receive well. So would you mind explaining what those practices are and how you do them? Yeah. So there's an exercise I went through recently. Dallas Willard talks about them, V-I-M, basically as, as a pathway to formation. And so essentially, it's this idea of vision, intention, and means. So the vision is, you know, is to really be able to state specifically what the issue is, what, what you're hoping for, almost in a sense, the grace you're asking for. For me, in this case, it was just the vision of wanting to be a person who cast his cares on the Lord, wanting to be a person who didn't carry so much of the responsibility unnecessarily. You know, I'm not trying to shirk responsibility, but my problem isn't that. My problem is I carry way more than anyone, including the Lord, would expect me to. 
which creates anxiety, lots and lots of anxiety in me. So, you know, create the vision. The intention is where I come face to face with the obstacles, primarily me. You know, just again, this sense, you know, this heavy sense of, you know, what's going to stop me from handing all things to the Lord? I'm overly responsible. I've got these things that are in the way. I like to be in control. It's just acknowledging those things. But ultimately then in that, just going, okay, Lord, here's what I want to do. You know, here's my intention is to become this kind of person. And ultimately then means. And means are those spiritual practices, habits of grace, whatever you call them. And this isn't just like overall life, like I want to be a better Jesus follower. This is specific to the thing that is really the big rock that's in the way. You know, and right now through prayer and reflection, you know, I determined that the big rock that was in the way is this bloated sense of responsibility that's creating all this anxiety in me. And so for me, what that looked like was a couple of different practices. One was a, a new passion for meditating on and memorizing scripture, specifically those passages that address the thing I'm dealing with. So the Matthew 11 passage, beginning to you know, memorize and meditate on this idea of Jesus is a yoke. That in fact, he's saying, you know, my yoke is easy, man. My burden is light. That you need to learn from me because I'm humble of spirit and I'm gentle and, and I'm going to rest you. And that, that idea of being rested, man, I dig that. That sounds like a good thing. Where do I sign up? Additionally, obviously, the you know, Philippians 4 passage is helpful. And also uh, recently, First Peter 5, which is basically a letter to the elders of the church. Mm. And again, as a church leader that spoke to me. But then there's that line right in the middle, cast your cares on him because he cares for you, right? These are all things I need to have at the ready, ready to go. And so, you know, that's one of the things that I have. That's part of my morning. In addition to that, the other thing that I've been doing is under the habit of kind of Jesus easy yoke. And he says, learn from me. It occurred to me that I've learned from the Bible, but I don't know in many ways that I've learned specifically from Jesus. And so I'm doing uh, red letter lessons. So as part of just my regular devotion, I'm going through the, the red letters in the Bible in the New Testament, which is Jesus speaking, meditating on that, sitting on that and going, okay, what easy yoke lesson is he reflecting? And his relationship to the Father, what is happening here that is something I, I can internalize and be open to and watch for and respond to? Additionally, meeting monthly with a soul friend. Our friend Dan Jones is uh, somebody that, that, again, in the midst of all this malaise, I recognize, man, I'm so isolated. And so reaching out to him and, you know, just he and I, you know, we, we Zoom, we do Zoom cigars. I don't know if I'm allowed to say cigar on this podcast or not, but I just said <laughs> sure. you can edit it out. <laughs> we do Zoom cigars and just, you know, just talk about God and what he's doing and just what's going on and, and things like that. Another just little silly thing is trying to be more intentional about asking for help. Because that's something that makes me throw up in my mouth a little bit. Again, I'm very self-sufficient. And so after this season of really just taking care of my wife, that's become like our role. You know, we were always that way to a certain degree, but now it's like on overdrive. And now, you know, even asking her for help is just a lesson that I'm trying to lean into. I would say the, the other thing, too, that's super helpful in this season is breath prayer. Have you talked about that before? No. Explain that. There's lots of them. I mean, you can make them up. I do. But the Jesus prayer, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. As you inhale, you say part. As you exhale, you say part. That's been around for centuries. Another prayer would be, be still and know that I am God. 
Be still, deep inhale, and know, exhale, that I am God. Then you slow it down. Be still and know, and then ultimately, be still, be. It's a meditation designed to focus on God, right? And so in this season, as I'm trying to deal with this BIM plan that I'm working on, which is essentially really just kind of a rule of life, as I'm working on that, then I kind of created this. It's still relatively new, so I don't know if I get it right or not. But I, I kind of built it myself, but it's scriptural, so it's okay. And so as I, as I inhale with this, it's essentially saying, because it pleases you, and then as I exhale, it's, I will give my anxiousness to you. But then the second verse for me is, because you care for me, I will trust you with my burden. And so what I find is when I'm starting to get anxious, it's because I'm trying to control, because I'm getting into stuff. And I need to be reminded in that moment that Jesus is there ready for my burden, right? And so the way I do that is I include my body by taking these deep breaths, which is always cleansing and helpful and just a good practice. But in, in saying these things, I'm reminding my own spirit of what is true of God, that, you know, he cares for me. And so I can cast my cares on him. In fact, he likes me to do that. That brings him pleasure, you know, that I can trust him with my birth. So I think it's important to talk about the nuts and bolts of these things, because like you were talking earlier about meditation and my immediate first question that popped in my head is, okay, that's good to hear that, you know, you're practicing meditation, but what does that look like for you? And so if I'm hearing correctly, breath prayers is one of the ways that you practice meditation. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, essentially. And again, for me, meditating is just the cow chewing the cud. And so just taking some scripture and really just spending time with it, you know, Lectio Divina is kind of a form of that because it's this repeated reading and listening to God in it. You know, in, in memorization specifically, I'm an intellectual, so, my, so I'm trying to memorize all these words in order. That's not helpful. You know, when I think, okay, so in Matthew 11, as I'm trying to memorize this passage, you know, so Jesus just got done condemning all these cities where he performed miracles, but they wouldn't repent. And so he's calling them out. And then it, Jesus said, you know, praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, but revealed them to little children. And so in meditating on this, I'm watching this scene play out. So there he is just like shouting out going, man, all these cities, man, they wouldn't listen to me. They wouldn't respond to me. And then he just stops and starts praying. He's just talking to God. It's like he forgets everybody else is there. He's like, God, man, this is so exciting because I praise you. And this is your good pleasure to do so. And then he shifts back to the crowd and says, all things have been, have been committed to me. He says, the father is the only one that really knows the son. And the son is the only one who knows the father and those whom the son chooses to reveal him. And then he slides into, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So meditation for me in that isn't memorizing these words in order. It's, it's like being in it and just letting it saturate and get all over you until it becomes part of you. So you sit there, you read it, and then you you're just still and allowing whatever thought the Holy Spirit introduces just flow into you. Is that how if, it works? If I'm doing Lectio, that's how it is. You know, Lectio Divina, sacred listening, sacred reading, however you choose to do that. If I'm doing Lectio, then basically I'm reading a passage of scripture three times. 
each time I've got the way I do it, and there's so many different ways you can do it. It's really just most of this idea of repetitive reading and then reflection and listening for God. But the first time I read it, because of the way I'm wired, I read it intellectually, just because I have to get that out of the way first, or else my brain won't, won't move on to the other stuff. And so first time I read a passage, what did this mean to the original hearers to the best of my ability? What's going on? What's the theology? Yada, yada, yada. You know, again, this is usually a quick pass. Unless I see some that really piques my interest, then I'll pull in some commentary. But the second pass, especially in the Gospels, it's basically using your imagination, something that Ignatius was a proponent of. And it's a sense of putting yourself in the story, right? Jesus is on the beach. And who am I? Am I one of the disciples? Am I one of the folks like hanging way back, just watching this radical new teacher? And, and man, what's it smell like and next to the Sea of Galilee is, is the winds blowing it up? And what's everybody else saying and doing, right? Just you know, listening from that perspective, trying to immerse yourself. And then the third time is where I just read it or have it read to me and let it wash over me, trying to not hold it with my brain, but allowing it to wash over my spirit and see what catches, see what glimmers, just for lack of a better word. You know, so in a verse, it may be, man, that word freedom, why did that jump out at me? Or man, why, why was I so bothered by that sentence there? Why do I feel like something inside me just got a little you know, bothered by that. Well, then you talk to God about that. That's good. How has that helped you in this season when it comes to these things like your wife, Connie, uh, helping her? And I'm, I'm assuming that two years later, there's still a lot of struggle when it comes to her back issues. Oh, yeah. She just re-injured herself around Christmas time and had to get back into a brace and just finally got out last week again. So there's absolutely elements of that. But see, that's that's not the stuff. Again, it, it's not the responsibility that gets to me. It's the stuff I own that was never mine to own. I feel like that's where I'm ahead of God's grace because he's like, okay, why am I going to empower you to do this when that's not what I'm asking you to do? What I'm asking you to do is trust me with this outcome. That's more the issue. And, and, and honestly, for me, it's this compilation of all the responsibilities, being you know, a husband and a grandpa and a dad and, and then a church leader and, and all of it. And so I can't always even, it's not always like one thing that's the thing. One of the things I've, I've been trying to do more recently is not think so far ahead because that stresses me out more. And I, when I say far ahead, I mean even four hours from now, because I am a very, very next 24-hour thinker. Like I always know what's coming. And that just creates anxiety for me. Mm-hmm. And so I've been really trying to be a little more present. But when I don't get that right, so you know, I think was it maybe last night or this, probably this morning, thinking about today and knowing that I was going to be doing this, which is you know a little anxiety producing. Got no idea what that's going to be like, and am I going to look stupid? I'm going to come off whatever. Um, no. You know, so there's always that fear. Well, I'm not done yet. You know, there's always <laughs> that fear. I was meeting with somebody today who's who just lost their wife for 50 years, oh, and man. just sitting down and being present with them, which is just a wait. Working on a message, you know, that I'm preparing for in a couple of weeks, and I'm preaching, and just all those things are this wait. So stop release the outcomes, quit thinking about those things, do your breath prayer, you know, spend time with Jesus this morning in the red letter and, and see what he has to say in his red letter lessons. And doing those things doesn't make me better. It frees me up to allow God's grace to give me what I need. And often his grace kind of drives that anxiety out. Mm, 
Yeah, I think that word freedom is so important for us to really understand. This is what God has always been offering to us. He's always been offering what's best, which is freedom from these things that that we allow to enslave us, right? Which yeah. is including our own perspective on things. It enslaves us when we when we're so narrowed in on our own perspective and not accepting his perspective. Seeing things from his point of view frees us. In my red letter reading this morning, uh, it was reading about Jesus getting baptized. And I may be taking some artistic license, but when I see something that is essentially true throughout scripture, I feel okay attributing it to one passage. But John's there baptizing people in the river and Jesus shows up and he's like, hey, baptize me, John. He's like, no way, you know. And plus, I mean, Jesus was without sin. He didn't need to be baptized. That wasn't even symbolically. There's no point. But he's like, no, I want to do it anyway. And you see this theme of Jesus which is humility and surrender to the Father, which you see throughout Scripture, Philippians 2. You know, you see that anyway, but also the sense of Jesus aligning himself with humanity. And so I had to ask myself, man, how much energy, how much attention do I give to making people think I'm special or I'm important? This is a special edition of this podcast because people think I'm special. (laughs) Jesus went the exact opposite direction. There's literally nobody more special than he is but he didn't call attention to that he's like no i want to i want to align with everybody else and what was so cool about that is as soon as he did that he comes out of the water what does god say man i love you my favorite rests upon you i'm so proud of you those are my paraphrase but it's pretty accurate how about you quit trying to present yourself as special or unique or worry about how you compare to others how about you just surrender yourself be humble and available to people and listen to the father talk about how much he loves you and how proud he is of you. Yeah, that's great. It's very similar to what happened to me a few years ago when I was I was reading the passage where Jesus stripped off his outer clothing and washed his disciples' feet. He put himself down at the lowest place, right, at their feet. And as I was mm-hmm. reading that, this vision materialized in my mind of Jesus at my feet washing my feet and he looks up and Scott, I'll just never forget that moment of those eyes, the kindness and the love. He says nothing. He's just looking at me from this position at my feet. He's down there and he just reaches out his hand to me. And it was this invitation. I I heard it clearly without a word is like, come down here with me. This is where I am, right? Jesus once said, my father is always at work and so am I. Mm-hmm. If we want to find him, where is he? He's in the lowest place. He's in the lowly places. And in fact, even in Matthew 11, it says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest for your souls. And he gives us the reason why. He says, for I am lowly and humble in spirit. He is the safest place on earth. And that was what came to me in that moment as I took his hands because it was so safe. Like, oh, yeah, I want to be where you are. And I took his hand and I went down low into that low place with him, that place of humility and, and being lowly of spirit. And as soon as I did that, he was at my feet again. I went low and he was at my mm, feet again, lower still, taking care of my needs. What he showed me in that moment is, Kurt, no matter how low you go, I will always be lower still. I will always be at your feet. And there's two things that came out of that for me. One, 
That means he's never above me. If he's at my feet, he's never above me condemning me. He's never above me looking down. That that mm-hmm. sense of condemnation and judgment that comes when I first, oftentimes when I first come to be still in God's presence is not him. So that was just a great thing. And it goes right with his confession of who he is. I'm lowly in spirit. I'm at your feet serving you naked, stripped down to my you know inner garments. And the other thing that came out was he's always serving us. Where do we need to be served the most is in our sense of identity and being loved, right? Being known, mm-hmm. fully known and fully loved. As First Corinthians says, right? Paul says, one day I will fully know as I am fully known. He says mm-hmm. that right in the love chapter, which right before that, he says, love rejoices with the truth. So we're fully known and fully rejoiced over it's just an incredible thing. So here's the place that where Jesus washes our feet and serves us. When we go lower still, this is what I heard you say. When we go lower still, we put ourselves in a position to listen, to humble ourselves, to listen to what he says about us. Mm-hmm. Just like when he went down into that place of lowly obedience in the, in the waters, in that place is where he heard the voice of God rejoicing over him. You are putting yourself in a place to hear his voice rejoicing over you. Yes. I I want to be careful not to convey the idea that that's the point, but absolutely. For my specific issue of this responsibility and control, I don't think you can truly be humble and then be, be responsible for things that aren't yours. There's pride involved in this gross sense of responsibility and of self. And so, you know, that's part of, part of the pathway for me. And again, I can't make myself humble. I'm letting Jesus work on it in me. Even though it's not the point, is there any other experience that stands out to you of, of being in God's presence and experiencing his love in a way that goes beyond the intellectual for you? Yeah, I, I think just for those people out there that maybe are wired more like me, I think I'd, I'd want to say, or I might just have it wrong. I don't know. But I would want to say those things don't happen a lot to me. You, every other Tuesday. For me, I'm just not wired that way, and my head just gets in the way. And so those experiences are few and far between, but they're very profound. And so uh, you'd mentioned a, a silent retreat. Most of the time that God has really shown up in a found way. And I don't always mean he opens up the heavens and gives me direction or anything, but I mean just that sense of, of presence. Many times it is with um, an extended time of silence and solitude because it takes me all the space for my brain to slow down enough, for my soul to get in tune with it, all that, right? And so I was doing a, a retreat at an Ignatian center, a Jesuit center, met with one of the, one of the priests there. And he's like, what grace do you require? Because they teach, ask for the grace you're looking for. And for me, in, in that moment, it's like, hey, I, you know, I know God loves me because that's his job and that's what he does. But I would love to know that like he, he felt pleasure or favor over me personally. I'd like to know that he liked me personally, not just because I was creating his image and, you know, human or whatever. And so he's like, great. So he writes it down and he sends me on my way and I go about my, my day and I'm praying and walking and thinking and just you know, enjoying the silence and solitude and doing my thing. And later that afternoon, I am in this little hovel of a room with my one little desk and a little chair and I'm journaling. 
kind of writing about my encounter, my, my experience with the, the priest earlier. And right about that time, I had this unmistakable physical sense of Jesus over my right shoulder. So much so that like I froze up and didn't want to turn because I was afraid, like, it's like, you know, seeing a deer in the woods, you don't want to spook them. And not only did I get the sense of him, I, I got this profound sense of his pleasure over me. Mm. Now, that whole thing maybe lasted 30 seconds, but it was very impactful. But because I know me, immediately when it was over, I journaled, hey, here's what just happened to me. When you read this three years from now, you're going to be like, no, you dozed off. But no, I'm here. This really happened. Basically writing to my future self so I wouldn't somehow try to justify it or explain it away. Wow. But, you know, regardless of what you're getting back, I think part of this is just trusting that he's there, even when I'm not getting ooey gooey feelings or, or tinglies or whatever. To me, that's part of the maturity of, of my journey. But I'll take, you know, that every so often. That's, that's great for me. Yeah. And that's awesome, though. I think to, to the best of my understanding of myself in that moment, had it not happened, it wouldn't have derailed my, my journey. Yeah. And, and so there's a lot of people like you out there. That I'm not special, even though this is a special <laughs> episode. I think that's a great place to close this out, Scott. What we always ask, it's kind of our thing, is for the guests to pray for people mm-hmm. who are listening, and especially people who have the same kind of journey as you. Would you mind closing us out by praying for them? Happy to do it. Jesus, there are folks uh, listening to the sound of my voice right now who might be just coming to the end, coming to a crossroads, just not sure which way to turn. Jesus, there are people in this very moment who maybe have been feeling overburdened, have been feeling just this sense of overwhelming responsibility, who've been struggling with their guts or their hearts just torn up in anxiety or fear or worry. Jesus, there are people listening right now who've been working really, really hard to be good, and they're tired. Lord, I'm just so grateful that you tell us very clearly that we should come to you with our burden, with our fear, with our anxiety, with our worry, and you will rest us. That the yoke that you have is so much lighter than the yoke the world has over us. The yoke you have just says, be present to you, walk with you, trust you, and leave the rest of it to you. Jesus, there may be people like myself who, who had a very intellectual journey, who know all kinds of theology and apologetics and biblical history and, and all of that, but may be feeling empty and maybe at a crossroads in their life. Maybe they're listening to this podcast right now because something is crashing in their life and they're looking for some hope. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you give them a sense of the presence of God just even right now, wherever they're at, that you just give them even even a taste of what it means to not know about you only, but to know you. That sense of, of, of experience, a sense of, of presence, a sense of going that there's something more than what I've had. And God, I thank you that you are close to the brokenhearted. I thank you that you are long-suffering and so patient and that I didn't have to get my head cut off to find you. But ultimately, just continuing this journey step by step 
by step, by not giving up, by learning to surrender more, by letting more fall away, you were able to pick me up. God, I'm grateful to you. I'm grateful for, for Kurt. I'm grateful for Kim for what they're doing through this podcast to bring people hope and healing. And I pray blessing over them that you magnify your name through what they're doing, that they may be able to bring hope and healing to thousands, if not tens of thousands of people. Mm. And God, we thank you that in all ways, in all things, you love us. We can trust you. And we pray that you help us just keep releasing and not striving, just being present, receiving, and trusting. Jesus, we thank you. Father, we bless you. Holy Spirit, we surrender to your empowering presence. And we ask all of this, celebrate all of this, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Scott. Very yeah. special episode. <laughs> I really appreciated it. I really especially appreciated <laughs> your sharing of the different practices and how you're doing that. I think that's always something that we we need as Christ followers. Because I think a lot of the times we just assume people, when we say meditation or prayer, we we just assume people know what that means or even have their own way of doing it. It's refreshing for someone to walk us through their experiences and also the practices that go along with their journey. So I really appreciated that. Yeah, thanks, right, Scott. Good to talk to you. Good to see you, Kim. You too. And please know you can reach out to us with any of your questions, your prayer requests, or if you need help because you're feeling stuck in some area of your life. I am a coach for transformation that helps people move forward on their journey. If you want more information or you want prayer or you have questions, you can email me at coachkurt777 at gmail.com. And as always, remember that you are God's beloved, so be loved. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.